you come to that portion of our service where we consider what God says to us. Today we will consider God speaking to us in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 35, we will read and discuss the entire passage. We talked last week about Jacob in Shechem and how God had commanded him to move on to Bethel and to remember the vow that Jacob had made to God when he was at Bethel the first time on his way out of the promised land. And today we will consider Jacob's journey to Bethel and then we will actually wrap up the focus on Jacob's life today as well. So hear the the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 35, beginning in verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel, and so it was named Alon Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, And he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have another son. And she breathed her last, for she was dying. She named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Jacob had twelve sons, the sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Rachel's maidservant Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali, 
the sons of Leah's maidservant Zilpah, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived a hundred and eighty years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, Lord, we do ask today that you change us. Help us to put away our old selves. Help us to put on our new selves and to pursue a life in you. Lord, change us by your word and by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter, chapter 35, could be divided into, into two halves, verses 1 through 15, looking at a reconciliation between Jacob and God. Verses 16 20 through 29, wrapping up with the reconciliation between Jacob and Isaac. What a beautiful picture we have here in the last few verses of this chapter. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. The last time Jacob was at Bethel, he was leaving home because he had betrayed and tricked his father into giving him the blessing that belonged to Esau. Jacob had, instead of wrestling with God for the blessing that God had promised, Jacob tried to wrest that blessing, to, to steal that blessing from Isaac and from Esau through his and his mother's scheming and conniving. And he has spent the last probably 30 years on the run from his father. And yet we wrap up with this chapter with this glorious declaration that Jacob went home to his father Isaac. There was a reconciliation there between Isaac and Jacob. But it was a long road to get to Isaac and to this reconciliation. It was a road that spanned 30 years as Jacob left his father's household, never to see his mother again, in fear of his life from his brother, being swindled and tricked by his uncle, having this family dynamics of, of just uh, uh, conflict and scheming and conniving within his family, being in danger from his uncle as he left his uncle's household, fearing danger with Esau as he re-approached the promised land, more family dysfunction as he settles in, in Shechem, and then finally, we see the first half of this chapter where he begins a reconciliation process once again with God. Today, as we look at this, as we look at the difficulties that he goes through in losing Deborah, we expect Rebecca to be the one that, that we are told dies in verse 8, and yet it ends up being her nurse. We learn later on that Rebecca died before Jacob returned. As Jacob goes through this journey of difficulty throughout his whole life and through these last few years of his life, we see what I want us to look at today is, is, what, is what is necessary for this reconciliation with God that Jacob goes, to, goes through. And today what I want us to see is that there are three things that we need for this reconciliation. We need repentance. We need purification. And we need to pursue holiness. 
Now this trip from Shechem to Bethel, God protects Jacob and his family. And, and Jacob arrives at Bethel, this place where he has met God. He actually renames it once again to El Bethel to take the focus off of the place and to the person that Jacob met there at the place. El Bethel literally means God of the house of God. And so the focus is moved from the place where Jacob is to the God who met him there at that place. But some things had to happen before God met Jacob there and Jacob had the covenant renewed with God. And all three of these things are found in verse two. The first thing that Jacob does is he goes to his household and he tells them, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Remember when Jacob left uh, Paddan Aram and Rachel stole the household gods of her father. And we have this picture here that even though she probably just stole them for comfort, this worship of these household gods had a larger influence in the family of Jacob than they should have. Remember, the first time Jacob met God at Bethel, God said, I am your God and I will be with you. And Jacob promised, if I return to this land under your care, you will be my God. And yet as Jacob prepares to travel to Bethel to meet with the God he has promised to have as his God, Jacob is confronted with the reality that that's not the truth. His family is worshiping other gods. And so he goes to his family as the head of his household, as the as as he grows into this position of leadership in his household. Remember, he has been the passive father, the passive husband in his household. But he moves finally into this position of leadership. And he says, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. This is very similar. We see very similar language in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Joshua, at the end of the conquest, at the end of his life, he brings the people to Shechem and he gathers them together and he reminds them of all the things that God has done from them for, for them, from removing them from Egypt to sustaining them through 40 years in the wilderness to conquering the nations for them in the land of Canaan. And he says this, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Jacob and Joshua call us to remove the gods of our lives, the things that we turn to in our lives, remove them so that we can worship God, so that our hearts can be prepared to worship God and God alone. Jesus expands on this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you cannot worship God in money. You must serve one God or you must serve the other. How do we how do we dig these gods? How do we remove these gods from our lives? Because we don't carry idols. We don't carry statues of gods that we worship. How do we remove these idols from our lives? We actually touched on this quite a bit in Sunday school today. What causes extreme emotional reactions in you? 
What causes fear? What causes rage? What causes extreme despair and sadness? I'm not talking about clinical despair and sadness, but I'm, I'm talking about those things that happen in your life that just make you fearful, make you angry, make you morose and sad and in a state of despair. Dig underneath those emotions and find out what idols those emotions are, are pointing you to. Oftentimes we get mad at people because they don't give us the respect or the approval that we think we deserve. Oftentimes we are sad in our lives because, because we have goals and, and, and desires that we want to have met. And when we fall short of meeting those goals and desires which have become idols in our lives, we despair. And oftentimes we are fearful because we think we have to have something in our life to be safe when all we need is the God, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we need for reconciliation with God is this repentance, turning away from the foreign gods in our lives and burying them. The second thing we need for reconciliation with God is to be purified. Jacob says, after he says, get rid of the foreign gods among you, he says, purify yourselves. Purify here is a Leviticus type word. Remember all the clean and unclean laws in the book of Leviticus. Those were dealt with purity, with ritual purity that was required to worship God, to enter the temple, to enter the tabernacle courtyards and to be in his presence. The book of Leviticus starts with Moses outside the tabernacle, unable to enter because the pure and holy God lives among a people who are unpure and unclean. God needs to reconcile that. God needs to fix the situation and answer the question, how does a holy God live in the middle of an unholy people? And so we have sacrifices for sins. We have ritual cleansings for purity. We have rules against things to touch and things not to touch so that we will not be unclean, so that we will not be impure. And so there's this external system of purification for the Israelites so that a holy God can live in the midst of an unholy people. But there's a problem with that. It's an external system of purity. It's an external system of forgiveness. It's an external system of atonement. And it had to be done over and over and over again. The book of Hebrews, a portion of the book of Hebrews, talks about how the sacrificial system of the book of Leviticus was not enough to purify the people. Because our problem is not external. Our problem is internal. Our problem, as we, as, as we listened in our Uh, in our assurance of pardon from Ezekiel chapter 36, our problem is that that we have dead hearts, hearts of stone, hearts that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 are dead because of our trespasses and sins. The impurity, the uncleanness of our idolatry, the impurity, the uncleanness of our rebellion against God, the impurity, the uncleanness of our sin has given us dead hearts. And people with dead hearts cannot purify themselves. But thanks be to God, he said in our assurance of pardon today, he said, I will cleanse you. I will purify you. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will make it so that you can love and follow my law and be pure before me. 
And how does he do that? Hebrews says, even though the sacrifices of the Levitical system, the blood of sheep and goats was not enough, was unsatisfactory to God. The blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the blood that cleanses us. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb. We've given this picture in the book of Revelation of a, of a lamb that was slain, yet is the rescue for humanity, yet is the one who is worthy to open the seals on the scroll, the one who is worthy to take the bowls of God's, of God's punishment and God's wrath, and the one who is worthy to gather a people for himself, a people who are purified by the wound, by the blood which flows from the wounded lamb that is also the lion, the king of God's, of God's kingdom. Folks, we cannot purify ourselves, but by the grace of God in which he gives us faith, we are purified by the work, by the death, and by the life and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Reconciliation with God requires repentance. Reconciliation with God requires purification. And reconciliation with God requires a pursuit of holiness. The third thing that Jacob commands his household, he says, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves. And he finally, he says, change your clothes. We've all heard the example before of the Christian life where what good does it do you to be purified and to be cleansed if you're just going to put on your dirty, filthy clothes? The homeless man is taken into the shelter. He's given a bath and he's given new clothes. The person in poverty living in squalor is taken out of that dirt, that filth is cleaned and she is given new clothes. Or as Paul said in our New Testament reading today, take off the old man and put on the new. Take off your sinful way of life. You used to be angry. You used to be liars. You used to be gossips. You used to be slanderers. You used to stand condemned before God for your sins. But He has purified you. So instead, put on love. Instead, put on grace. Instead, put on mercy. Instead, lift up each other and encourage one another with psalms, with hymns, with spiritual psalms. Don't just repent. Don't just purify through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Put on clean clothes. Be renewed in the knowledge of who you are as the renewed, saved, sanctified image of God. And strive to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have been given. Strive to live a life that removes the sinfulness in our lives that still so easily besets us. And puts on the holiness of God. Reconciliation with God requires repentance. Reconciliation with God requires purification. And reconciliation with God requires the pursuit of holiness. As we wrap up, this, this chapter actually ends the focus on the life of Jacob. As we move forward in the next chapter, we're going to look briefly at the account of Esau, and then we're going to look at the account of Jacob's sons as we look on the interaction between Joseph and his brothers 
in Joseph's time in Egypt. Now, Jacob won't die until the end of the book of Genesis, but he becomes a minor character in the flow after we leave today's chapter. And I want us to see three things today as we do wrap up our focus. The first is that Jacob is going to leave Bethel and he, he has this, this amazing encounter with God once again where God renews the covenant. He solidifies the change to Jacob's name. And Jacob is going to live there for a time and he's going to move. We don't know why he moves, but even though he's had this amazing reconciliation with God, his life's still tough. His life is still difficult. We have this mistaken idea in our Western American culture that faith equals ease. If you just have enough faith, your life will be good. You won't struggle. You won't ail. You won't be sick. But look what happens to Jacob after he has this amazing encounter with God where God solidifies all these promises to him. His favorite wife dies. Deborah dies. We've never been introduced to Deborah before, but she must have been important enough in Jacob's life that we need to record her death in the Scriptures. His mom's handmaid, which means she probably did a lot of the work of raising Jacob. She dies. We're going to see as we go on into Jacob's life that the family difficulty does not stop. We have Jacob's son, his oldest son, disqualify himself by attacking the foundation of Jacob's power in the family. He's going to lose his favorite son, Joseph, thinking he's dead. And he's going to be expelled from the promised land because of famine, not because of his sin, but because of famine. Walking with God is tough. Sometimes it's tough because of our own sins. Sometimes it's tough because of the sins of others. Sometimes it's tough because we live in a broken world where famines happen and people die. But walking with God is difficult. The next thing we see is who takes responsibility for his family. Jacob has been passive up to this point in his family. He let Simeon and Levi go. He, he let the rape of Dinah happen without any type of response other than saying, you caused life to be difficult for me. He allowed Leah and Rachel to, to run the, the procreation of his life. He took no stand with them. He allowed Laban to, uh, to, to uh, trick him and to scheme against him. We see here that Jacob takes responsibility for the holiness of his family. If you are in charge of your family whether you're a single person in your home or whether you're a father in a household, you are in charge of the holiness of your household. You are, in, you are called to lead by example. You're called to lead by exhortation. You are called to lead in the holiness and the sanctification of your family. And thirdly, we also need to learn that this process of preparing for worship and covenant renewal and reconciliation is a lifelong process. As I was preparing for this this week, I'm like, I am going to God, I am going to tell these people one more time that Jacob finally got it. Because I told him he finally got it the first time Jacob got to Bethel. I told him Jacob finally got it whenever 
he, uh, he, he gave God the credit for growing his flocks and his wealth. I told him that Jacob got it when he, got, and when he wrestled with God and hung on to God for blessing. And I'm going to tell him now again that Jacob gets to Bethel that he got it. And isn't that like my and your life? There are times when we get it. There are times when we are confronted by our need for reconciliation with God. And we get this, we have this wonderful event in our life where God meets us and He shows us our sin and it's painful and it hurts. But at the end of it, we come out a little bit more sanctified and we're like, God, I've got it. I'm not going to go back to those household idols again. And then months or weeks or years down the road, we're right back in the same spot, are we not? And God has to enter into our life and we have to get it again. And God says, Ike finally got it. But another few weeks or months or years down the road, God's going to have to say, Ike finally got it again. This is a lifelong process. It is... Brothers and sisters, we are declared righteous by God. We are righteous in the sight of God because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are justified. Nothing can change that. That is the basis and foundation for us moving into this process over and over and over again. But those lists of sins that we had in Colossians, the, that call to holy living where, where Paul says, Put away anger, put away rage, put away malice, put away slander, put away filthy language. In other books and letters of Paul, he, he adds sexual sins to these things. It's a lifelong process. Every now and then we finally get it. Every now and then we have success. But unfortunately, the influence of sin, the influence of idolatry is still there. But by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to move forward into our righteousness. What happened the last time I told you Jacob finally got it? He wrestled with the angel. And at the end of that wrestling, he was touched. And he limped over the finish line. Bruce Waltke says he literally limped over the threshold of heaven. Some people soar over the threshold of seven. Some people finally get it to the point that they live a sanctified life. Not a perfect life, but a gloriously sanctified life. Other people crawl, drag themselves through the mud, or limp to get to the threshold of heaven. But brothers and sisters, we all get there. If we are covered by his righteousness, if we are covered by his grace. And we show that by a constant life of repenting, of purifying and pursuing. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, oh, how we wish to finally get there, how we wish to finally get it. And yet how often we limp through life. We limp through this process of repentance, of purification, and of pursuit. It would remind us of the foundation that we have in our justification. 
Remind us of the righteousness we have that cannot be taken from us. Whether we soar gloriously through the, through the gates or whether we crawl muddy and dirty to get there. And remind us of the Spirit that empowers us to go through this process day by day, moment by moment, struggling to be remade in the knowledge of the image of our Creator. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.